Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello, my name is Arsene Wenger. You are listening to the Tuesday Club. This is the Arsenal Podcast. Now Bold. And it's Tony Adams put through by Steve Bold. Would you believe it? That sums it all up. Hello, I'm Alan Davis. You are listening to the Tuesday Club. This is the Arsenal Podcast. And I've got Arsene Wenger with me this morning. How are you, Arsene? I'm well, thank you. I hope you too. I am very well. It's uh, lovely to see you. Are you at home today? I'm at home today, yes. I can see, uh, I'm looking at your background, I can spot a framed shirt, a a little trophy there. That's a framed shirt of my 50th birthday. Oh, wow, wonderful. And a a little bit of memorabilia around the place, mainly red and white. Yes. You've joined us today. We're grateful for your time to talk about your autobiography, My Life in uh, in Red and White. We're all Arsenal fans on the Tuesday Club, as you may know, so we will obsess, if you don't mind, with those years. But I'm interested, you write quite movingly at the beginning of the book about your childhood and your parents and your... You had an older brother who was five years older and an older sister who was ten years older and this and a little village with three blacksmiths and dominated by horses. I wonder if it was a, a quiet place, if it was a still environment that you grew up in. No, it's because I grew up in a little uh, bistro, what you call a little pub here, you know. Uh, there were always people uh, inside who talked about uh, football. This was the local headquarters of a football club. And uh, so quite, no, but the, the, the rhythm of the village was dominated by uh, religion, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so it was Christmas, Easter, and all uh, in between the processions and uh, the, 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 the priest was the king of the village, you know, and uh, at, at that time religion was very dominant. And uh, for the rest, it was an agricultural uh, village where you could say uh, 90% of people were agricultures, you know, and uh, but it was uh, at the time you had no tractors, it was the horses mm-hmm. that uh, were the strong faces in, in the job on daily basis and uh, the physical strength was vital, you know, how hard can you work physically and that changed uh, in the 60s. But uh, my childhood was straight after the Second World War in 49, 
And uh, my grandfather couldn't speak French, but we were French, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, we spoke Alsatian at home. Uh, it is a little dialect, but is uh, closer to German than to French. So I learned French at school. It's interesting. It's always a, it's an area of France that we learned about here in history books, Alsace and Alsace-Lorraine. Yeah. And uh, your father was caught up in the horror of the Second World War, wasn't he, with the Malgrand Nu and the yes. being turned by the Germans. But you say in the book that he never spoke about that. He never spoke about those never. times. No. I uh, couldn't understand why, because he, he was on the Russian front with the Germans, you know, because uh, uh, at the end of the uh, Second World War, they uh, incorporated by force the territories where they, they occupied. And uh, so my father from 43 to 45 was a Malgrenou. That means he was French, but uh, fighting for the Germans against the Russian. Extraordinary. And your mother left at home with your sister running around quite small and a very uh, small baby boy, your older brother. Yes. Did she talk about those times to you? Not really, you know. Uh, I don't know why in, in Alsace, I think uh, it was uh, must have been a strange period where some, as always, they were not all heroes, you know, and some cooperated with the Germans and some uh, were resistant. And after the Second World War, it was quite a, uh, a period where people didn't talk about it. They, they, they would think maybe subconsciously, Let's not open that book because that would create many problems. Mm-hmm. You're trying to reintegrate everybody into yes. into life in peacetime and rebuilding the area. Yeah. So then you come along in 1949. Mm-hmm. You've got older siblings. Did you? Was it quite a lonely childhood in a way for you with older siblings? That's what my mother told me uh, because she, had, she, my father worked, and uh, she had to take care of a bistro. So. They told me when uh, my brother and my sister went to school, I was quite lonely for two years, the first two years, upstairs in uh, my bed, and uh, <laughs> they let me get on with it. And no uh, no TV, really. <laughs> so they prepared me for the manager's job at the time, certainly, no. Well, it's, it's very interesting in your book that there's almost a theme of loneliness that comes through at times, because you took some quite big jumps in your life. But you began playing football in your local village and then you made your way through the uh, the ranks of football in Alsace, eventually yeah. finding your way to Strasbourg, who are a big club in, in League One. It's very striking now. You talk in the book about all the friends that you made at that time when you were coming through as a young man. It was obviously a period of your life that you enjoyed very much in your 20s. Yes, it was... Uh... We were a golden generation because we were the first generation who had no war and uh, we had no problem to find a job. You know, all my friends had uh, good jobs. It was optimism and uh, and uh, that was shared by everybody. It was uh, uh, at the time the economy grew uh, very quickly and uh, there was no uh, no unemployment basically. And that had certainly a repercussion on the, on the optimism around. And it was a positive, a positive time. 
as well, uh, I must say, uh, we were still a generation where the parents told them, uh, work hard, don't talk too much. Uh, what counts is facts, is not what is what you do, not what you say, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially in a village of agricultures, you cannot uh, fool people, you know, they know quickly and all the families know each other. So it's quite a, a completely, I think in a village at that time, you, you had to, to a kind of authenticity. You were who you were, you know, today in the city, you project yourself, you can pretend who you are, but at that time it was more uh, you had to be uh, real. That's very interesting. Now, you became quite a good footballer in your teens, but I know that you've said that you didn't have anyone coaching you until you were 19. Do yes. you have some regret that you could have been a better player? Of uh, regret, I could say yes, but uh, on the other hand, I must say I must thank God because uh, when you have uh, not a coach until the age of 19 and you make my career, you must say thank you very much. It's a miracle. And at that time in my village, football was not serious. You know, it's not serious enough to be a job. It's football is playing. It's not working. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a kind of uh, nobody could imagine around us that uh, you make a living out of a game. But you made a living in Strasbourg. You started to learn how to coach. You were, you made a big choice. I was always well paid very, very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, even in amateur level, you had the same salary than the professions at the time, basically. I was maybe uh, the best paid uh, in Alsace, you know, and uh, and it was mixed. Uh, we, we were promotional, what is called, when I played in Mulhouse or after at Vauban. We, were, we had to declare our income, but we had, uh, I had the same income when uh, players basically in the top league. So you're doing quite well. So you're really enjoying life. And you come you come into coaching and then you move to Cannes. You go to the South Coast. Yes. And you say in your book that it was like going to a different country. It was. Because uh, Strasbourg is a more German influence, more, and uh, South of France was more Italian influence, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we had to rebuild the club, to build the club uh, in Cannes with my friend Jean-Marc Guillou. And uh, I must say the first six months uh, in Strasbourg, I was at home everywhere. Everybody knew me. And uh, so, and suddenly uh, to go to Cannes and to start it all again uh, was the first time I, uh, I left really my home. You say in the book, Living that isolated, solitary life where nothing was familiar was a revelation. I learnt that I could live anywhere with no interference and no personal affection. I was a solitary man who liked the solitude of decision-making. It's really quite striking how you, you turned being alone into a strength, into a virtue almost. Yes, because I had the passion of the game, you know, and uh, in Cannes I worked uh, eight hours a day on the pitch because I practiced with uh, the first team and uh, the academy. 
So uh, I was very busy physically. Uh, when I came back late at night, uh, I had only a sofa and uh, football tapes. So it, it was a, a bit... Uh, I discovered that I... I uh, could live without, without an environment that I knew, where in Strasbourg I knew everybody, basically. And suddenly I was in an environment uh, completely focused on football. I had friends as well in Cannes, but it was a life dedicated to to work hard, you know. So you, you developed a reputation in Cannes as a coach, and the opportunity came to take over at Nancy later on. Yes. Famously, the, the club and the of, opportunity uh, in Monaco came as well from Cannes because I got a reputation down there in the south of France, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why Monaco came later. I knew of you. You had three years in Nancy. This is the club of Platini. This is Michel Platini's club. This is uh, Michel Platini, yes. And his father was still there when you were there, is that right, running the place? I worked with his father, yes, uh, with uh, Aldo, and uh, he became became a friend, of course, and uh, he, uh, it's, uh, I could have good football conversations with him and it allowed me as well to, to uh, watch a lot the national team, uh, the French national team, because Michel played in the national team at the time. Sometimes in the summer he practiced with us in Nancy. Mm-hmm. Had he gone on to Juventus by then? He was at Juventus already when I was in Nancy. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because Juventus started later in the summer and in France we started earlier with our training. Sometimes he asked me, what kind, what is your session? Running, I don't come. Playing, I come. You know? <laughs> so sometimes he, he practiced with us. He was the, the great player of his generation, wasn't he? A truly wonderful footballer. He was an unbelievable player. Mm. People of the younger generations don't know him anymore, but uh, it's the best... Uh, vision I've seen in my life mm-hmm. on the football pitch. The player who reminded me of Platini was Fabregas. Yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I agree. I always said that, you know. He reminds me a bit of Platini because his head is like that, moving around. Constantly looking around Constantly like a bird almost. Around, exactly. And uh, Platini was like that. And uh, so that uh, they had that in common, but Platini was uh, let's not forget a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, he was three times on the trot uh, best goal scorer in, in Italy as a number ten. Extraordinary player, and this was a time when they would only allow one foreign player. So he was, from an Arsenal point of view, he was the player who moved Liam Brady out of the Juventus team, and in a way, it was a terrible tragedy that the two of them couldn't play together. Yes, of course, that would not be the case today. No. But uh, uh, as well, I've heard at that time somebody from Arsenal came to watch him mm-hmm. uh, to play in Nancy and he never attended the stadium. Wow, that's disappointing. <laughs> you could have had both in England. That would have been extraordinary. Now, Nancy was a difficult time and you worked incredibly hard, but mm. in the third year... Uh, they went down yes. uh, into the second division. You said in your book, only I could take responsibility for defeat, which was actually physically unbearable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it still is, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. it's true, but uh, 
uh, I played, we played only, when I arrived, we had quite, uh, we had good moments in Nancy, you know, we uh, had some good moments, but in the last year, we had always to sell our best players, you know, and in the last year, we played only with youth team players, and mm -hmm. uh, overall, uh, uh, Nancy is where they are today, you know, we're struggling in the second league. The miracle was that uh, we played, we played in the top league, and uh, but uh, for me, of course, it was difficult to take because uh, uh, not supporting defeat, you know, at, uh, at Arsenal was lucky. You win sixty percent of a game approximately, and you draw twenty, mm -hmm. and you lose about twenty so percent. So. It's one game out of five, but in Nancy it was one game out of two, and sometimes two out of three. So that oh. was a that was a good uh, preparation for my career. So you were in pain for most of that season, physically. <laughs> physically yes. pain. I, I thought sometimes I, I'm not made to do this job, you know. Did you not sleep? Not much, but uh, basically, physically, I couldn't take defeat. Were you smoking heavily at that time? I started to smoke, and uh, the players smoked in France at that time. Mm -hmm. I started to smoke in uh, Cannes with my friend Jean-Marc, who was, uh, he, fo he smoked uh, 40 cigarettes a day. So I was never a heavy smoker, but I started to smoke and to see pictures of me. Even in France at that time, smoking you were not, uh, was normal. You know? Normal in the, in the changing room too? Not in the changing room, I didn't, I banned it in the changing room, but after the game, on the coach co coming back, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes uh, the players smoked, you didn't see each other. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of smoke. So despite what happened in Nancy, despite the relegation, Nancy wanted you to stay. Five you had another, another A five-year contract, another yeah. club came in for you as well. And, and Paris Saint-Germain. And Monaco came in. And Monaco, yeah. What was it? What were you doing that made you so in demand? What was it? Were, were you innovative? Did you? Have, what was your reputation? I don't know. I was the first surprised, you know. With, mm -hmm. uh, but at that time, it was not like it is today. Today, uh, the manager is not alone with his team on the pitch. I was on my own with no assistance. Mm -hmm. No, nobody makes a session for you. It's you and the players. And uh, you make. You know, I was a fitness coach, a goalkeeper coach, assistant coach, a main coach. And uh, so I, I, I think it was a good for me, a good education as well to prepare for the rest of my life. And uh, I had the opportunities, you know. I had, uh, I had many clubs who wanted me and... Uh, Nancy wanted me to stay for five years, and I agreed at the start to stay for five years. But when Monaco came in and uh, Paris Saint-Germain came in, I thought, uh, if I don't, if I turn that down now, uh, it will be difficult to find that uh, quality of club again, you know. So in 87, you go to Monaco. Yeah. And you have this extraordinary first season where you win the championship. Mm -hmm. You have uh, Glenn Hoddle in the team. You got him on a free transfer from Spurs. It's always nice to pinch a player from Spurs for always. free. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you also had, uh, am I right, that you had Mark Haightley in the team too? Yes, yes. 
did Hoddle play high up the pitch as a as a ten, or did he play dropping in as a quarterback? No, I played him high up the pitch, and I had two good suppliers behind him. And uh, what happened as well? Glenn lost some weight. I thought uh, he was not the quickest. No. And uh, when he lost some weight, he suddenly became uh, physically much stronger, you know. And then he became uh, an extraordinary player. I thought, honestly, he has been voted, I think, a few years ago, uh, player of the century in Monaco. And wow. we, have seen, we have seen some good players, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was unbelievable. Right foot, left foot, uh, platini vision. Took all the free kicks. Got the free kicks with right foot and left foot, and he could give his balls who just fall behind the defenders, you know. And, he had uh, a way, didn't he, of stabbing, stabbing exactly. at the bottom of the ball and spinning yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing uh, technician. And uh, it was it was an unbelievable perfectionist, Glenn Hoddle. Very demanding as well. A real football man, I must say. And, uh, and you say in the book that he used to read the Bible on the coach. Yeah. Quite an unusual personality. He was religious at the time. I don't know if he still is, but uh, he was uh, uh, he was very uh, highly focused on uh, on that as well. Yes. Now, in your time at Monaco, you were uh, duking it out with Marseille, the rivals from along the coast, mm-hmm. and uh, Marseille were corrupt. Uh, Marseille were cheating. Um, it seems as though. Everybody knew they were cheating. And it's quite possible that you were denied maybe one or two more championships, do you think? That's what people say today, yes. And uh, But uh, I cannot prove anything, so I don't talk about it, you know. But uh, it, was, it was not a glamorous period of French football. And uh, Marseille wasn't one. Uh, they had a great team, let's be mm-hmm. honest. Paris Saint-Germain had a great team. Bordeaux had a great team. And for us, we were you were a bit in a situation where uh, England is today. You had uh, four, five big clubs, you know, and uh, it was difficult to to fight with them. And uh, in Monaco, you had less resources, but uh, we had a good youth system. And uh, when I arrived in Monaco, we never passed in the whole history one round in Europe, you know, and we started to be regularly present. We lost the final. Uh, in 92, you lost the final. That was a very sad story in the book because the night before there'd been a, a stadium yes, tragedy. A, a drama in Bastia. And uh, we, hadn't, we, wanted, we didn't want to play. And we lost the final against Bremen. And uh, it was a bit similar, similar to Arsenal against Barcelona because uh, uh, we... Uh, we uh, didn't lose a game the whole season in the European Cup, and we just lost the final. Just lost the final. And with so Arsenal, we didn't concede a goal in the whole knockout stage, and mm-hmm. we played big teams like Madrid, like Juventus, uh, and uh, Villarreal. And in the in the final, we played with ten men. <laughs> yeah, it was incredibly hard. So there was suspicion. What's extraordinary about that time in Marseille was that they were. There was suspicion in other clubs' dressing rooms, wasn't there? Because you never knew if yes, any yes, players yes, had yes. been influenced by Marseille to drop their performance level. Yes. It's very difficult, the mistrust. In 1994, 
You had the opportunity while at Monaco to go and be the manager of Bayern Munich. Yes. And you decided not to take that chance. Was that a crazy moment? Should you have gone to Bayern? Franz Beckenbauer was there. I should have gone. Mm-hmm. I should have gone because I arrived at the end uh, after seven years. I was the longest serving manager ever in Monaco, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to extend the contract. So I was torn between my education education. Uh, that means when you sign somewhere, you go to the end of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my realistic view was that, uh, look, uh, seven years in Monaco is quite a long time. And... Uh, uh, it's not. I, I made the club climb a step uh, higher up in Europe and uh, be consistent at the top level. So maybe it's time to go. And, and Bayern uh, was one of the biggest jobs there was, and it was Trapattoni who took the job. He yes. was a, a huge coach with Juventus. It was a great opportunity missed, and then suddenly you were shoved out the door anyway by Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in September. We had a bad start after the, uh, it was uh, 94. We had a bad start because after the World Cup, many players came back injured. Uh, we bought Sonia Anderson was injured and uh, we had a bad start. And uh, uh, the year before, it was the first time, I think we uh, didn't finish in the top three. And uh, so we finished seventh in the league. So it was already, you know, people were not happy. Yeah. And uh, but we played. Uh, we lost in the semi-final of the Champions League against Milan. And, that was a great uh, Milan side. Was the great Milan side, and uh, so it, we had still a good season. But we didn't start well, and uh, so the club knew I wouldn't extend. So they said, "Look, we stop here. We don't start well. <laughs> bye bye." Bye-bye. And so you missed Bayern Munich and ended up instead on the other side of the world. I missed Bayern Munich and I missed uh, Monaco as well. (laughs) So you end up in Japan. Do you take an 18-month tour of duty, as it were, in in Japanese football? Again, a very bold move. You find yourself another language, another culture. Uh, You and and Boro pretty much out there together. You know, it summarizes a little bit what our job is about. It's basically a job for a single person because you need to go anywhere in the world at some stage, uh, at any moment. And uh, But on the other hand, uh, it tests you, it forces you to understand people, to adapt to different cultures. And uh, there's no better way to do that than to go to Japan when, you, when you're French. Yes, I'm sure. And you found in Japan, you nearly came to Arsenal. Uh, George Graham had, had lost his job. Arsenal were looking for a manager. You met, you knew David Dean by then, and you mm-hmm. you, know, you had a conversation. Uh, it seems they weren't quite ready to take a punt on Arsene Wenger in 1995, and it wasn't until 1996 that they, they came tested to the, you. They tested the water. Mm-hmm. I had a... Uh, dinner in the favorite restaurant of Peter Hillwood at the time with uh, Peter Hillwood and David Dean. And we talked about football, about... Uh, I think they wanted to see... Uh, David Dean knew me, but he wanted, of course, uh, he needed to convince Peter Hillwood that I could be the man to do the job. And so I met Peter Hillwood and uh, they went for Bruce Rioch. 
Mm -hmm. I was on my way to Japan, so I continued my way to Japan. And uh, uh, one year later, yes, they came uh, in June or July in 96 to offer me the job. Uh, we played an away game. And uh, Danny Fisman, Peter Hillwood, and uh, David Dean came to see me. They all flew to Japan. They all flew to Japan. Well, listen, uh, normal service is now uh, resumed <laughs> uh, in the uh, Tuesday Club this week. Um, we have uh, the Midfield General, Damien Harris, is here. Hello. Hello, D. Well, uh, yes, uh, yes, I'm good, I'm, good. I'm sort of constantly on the edge of tears <laughs> when, whenever <laughs> I talk about arson or yes, all, all of this has just been so lovely. I'm constantly on the edge. I'll pass over. Okay, we'll give you a moment yeah. to compose yourself. <laughs> and uh, and Tayo's here as well. We've just listened to... That's the first half of an interview uh, that I was very uh, lucky to ha have the opportunity to to have with Arsene Wenger um, about his book. Uh, we'll play you the second half uh, next week uh, in the Chester Club, which is, of course, the Arsenal years. And uh, that uh, that was that's also fascinating. I I knew I didn't really have that long. I was supposed to have forty five minutes, and I, and as you can tell, I I spent twenty seven minutes of it talking to him about his time before he got to Arsenal, and it, just, it reminded me so much of my history O level when I did I did an hour and a half on the Indian <laughs> mutiny and got an, and ended up getting an E. So I had to take it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I, I did find it really fascinating, all that stuff. I was interested in his book. He talks about his family and his father and growing up in France and the history and his early years as a coach. Um, so, uh, and he's just, uh, he's just very good to listen to. You can imagine, for me, I could have um, chatted to him all day. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I had the stream of the Dan Walker thing. He did a thing at the Palladium. Yes, I saw that. Um and it was fine, but it was just very sort of broad and, you know, fairly obvious questions and things like that. Felt, and I, just, I felt like Dan Walker was, was was jumpy because there were hundreds of Arsenal fans just on the other at the edge of the stage and he's yeah. not an Arsenal fan. No, and they booed him or something like that when he came on, I think. Um, yeah, so I just think I, I just think you could tell when you're talking about Platini, for example, and your mm. knowledge and that, you know, you knew that you could say, you know, talk about him. And I, I think he really responded to that. The first um, audio boner, <laughs> for which I apologise, came with the Platini and uh, Fabregas mention. So, uh, yeah, good... Uh, Good spot there, D. It was just the way you talked about players, just as a just as a whole, was lovely. But um, with the same thing as well with the with with with, with Hoddle. But um, yeah, you're right, uh, D. It was the the he was definitely you could see him responding to actually someone who sort of knew the subject inside out. What about that story about uh, an Arsenal scout supposedly going to see Placini at Nancy and not, and not making the fixture? I mean, what? D d Aha! <laughs> I, I had three exclamation oh marks God. by that in my notes. <laughs> I could have had Brian Talbot running around just get fetching the ball and giving it to Brady and Platini. But Brady might have stayed. Stapleton yeah. might have stayed. 
if the team yeah, had turned up. There was one point in that time where we were supposed to be trying to sign Rude Kroll. Do you remember him, the Dutch centre-half, who was sort of a bit, I don't know what the comparison would be. He was a bit, they were supposedly the new Beckenbauer. He was, a, he was the Van Dyke of his day, anyway. And the yeah. idea that we'd have him in the Arsenal team. But in those days... It was an absolutely laughable fantasy. I mean, we used to joke about it. We used to do sort of mock commentaries at the game when we were bored out of our brain in the 90s, going, Hayes, Groves, Papa! The idea, <laughs> the idea that one of these guys would turn up at Arsenal. And, but perhaps if they had pushed harder, uh, we could have had Crow and Platini playing, but yeah, we, my, we did. My notes have got, um, my notes have got, mm-hmm, and then... <laughs> Disappointing. So yeah. knowing, knowing how you feel about, well, I think we all know how you feel about uh, Liam Brady. So the idea of that being uh, taunt, uh, taunting us uh, was quite good listen as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought the um, the bit uh, about not having any assistance, I thought was really interesting. So he had to do everything. So he was the fitness coach. He, you know, and the goalkeeper well coach. As, yeah. yeah. So and the tactics. And, and they got relegated. So that, that worked well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's he learned the last time he did that. <laughs> yeah, he learned to get someone else in. But the uh, same thing same good. thing in your chat and the same thing in the book. I mean alone, single, pain, loyalty, training, integrity, determination. Do you know what I mean? That in that comes across so much in the book, but in everything that he says and how much that period kind of shaped him. Like you said, the the fact that he did everything himself, when you yeah, know I'm that. Looking at, I'm looking at, I've got, pay, I mean, I read the book, I took pages and pages of notes, and I never really asked him about the stuff that I wanted to ask him about, which is a lot of it, about coaching itself. But some, but some of the things he said, he had this Romanian coach, Petrescu, not the Petrescu who later played for Chelsea, another Petrescu, who was he said was the first to bring in memory exercises and to try and understand how players learn. And Wenger is of the opinion now that everything, everyone is so at the limit of their physical capability that no one's, no one's going to get any faster, no one's going to get any more stamina. The only way to really improve a player now is to improve the speed at which they think. And so trying to, to, trying to create exercises which in, increases the speed with which they can absorb information. He says a really good player, when they're receiving the ball, will take in between six and eight pieces of information, a lesser player between four and six. He said the three criteria in football are control, make a decision and execute. And the time between controlling the football and deciding what you're going to do and executing it is the only thing that they, he feels that you could work on. So this is this kind of a scientific wow. approach. And the other thing that I really like, and it's quite an interesting one about him particularly, my favourite quote in the whole book, by the way, is you need an adequate number of holding midfielders. I mean, I had to put the book down <laughs> and walk around the room for about 10 minutes. So how dare you type that? How can you type that? <laughs> you need an adequate... Yes, Arsene, you do need an adequate number of holding midfielders. That is the best bit of advice that perhaps you could have given yourself. But his philosophy always learned in France was not to bet on the, on the opposing teams weaknesses and that that sort of is a little insight into the way he thought about setting teams up and approaching football and and he learned and he brought that to Arsenal certainly set us up to go and play and 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 dominate games and win matches and that rather than being worried about what the opposition were doing which was such a contrast with his 
successor Unai Emery. But yeah, um, as I say, we next week we will have um, there's just over half an hour of uh, Arsene talking about his time at Arsenal, and uh, it, it's 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 I know it's me talking to him, but I can tell you it is great. Yes. The only thing I was slightly annoyed that you didn't ask what Peter Hill Wood's favourite restaurant was. Well, so. I, I presume it wasn't Nando's, but I, okay. I don't know. I, I, in my I mind, very... I've got rules. You know that, <laughs> that yeah, place yeah, yeah. in London that's been there since 1784? Yeah, or in, and they've still got the same waiter. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can very much imagine it. When the waiting staff there pass yeah. away, they just take them downstairs into the cold store. Just on the, uh, just on the coaching thing again... Um, there's that bit in the book where he's just breaks down about how he communicates with players. Do you remember that? Do you remember that yes. bit? On average, two thirds of people would do more if their qualities are better recognised. And but you know, less than th- I'm reading you now, less than thirty percent of people apply the recommendations they've been given owing to a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to express one negative point, then you should um, offer three positive ones first. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's like a parenting handbook, that. That is, yeah. <laughs> and when I when I when we had children, Kate and I read this thing that said even when they're teenagers, I did stand up about it. If you criticise your child, you have to give them six positive reinforcements at the, <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> uh, and still do that when they're teenagers, which became you know. It, so by the time was, they become professional so footballers, you only company. need to give them two or yeah. three. But yeah, two or three. Just yeah, well, Terry simple... Venable said you can only tell a footballer two things. If you tell them three, they'll forget all three. If you tell them two, they might remember one of them. <laughs> Amazing. But that thing about recognising their qualities—that's uh, the thing that, that came to mind for me. There was. Um, what Gail Cliche said about Arsene, I think we've talked about it on here before, he turned up and he told him what his qualities were, which is he had an excellent left foot and, he, and his anticipation of the game was excellent and he should focus on those qualities. And he said he felt 10 foot tall. He said all his life he'd been told he had no right foot and he couldn't head it. But this, <laughs> this recognition of what he could yeah. do, yeah, as opposed to a lot of what Wenger did was kind of, Counterintuitive. My favourite thing he says about uh, football is um, we emphasise, this is at Monaco, we emphasised technical abilities above everything. Passing the ball is communicating with another person. It's being in the service of another person. It's an act of intelligence and generosity, <laughs> what I call technical empathy. I mean, it's just beautiful, isn't it? It's this, when you, pa- when you pass it. the ball to someone, you're communicating with them. And you know what came to mind for me, what really came to mind was we were playing Crystal Palace away, I think, and Mesut Ozil had the ball near the byline, and there's a lot of defenders about, and you can see Giroud. And the only way Giroud can score is if he gives it to him slightly behind him on his left foot, He's coming down the left-hand side, Ozil, so he can volley it. And he fired it onto the laces of Giroud's boot. And Giroud swung his peg and it smashed into the net. There's no way he was going to score with a header. He couldn't lift it with enough power. He gave him the pass that enabled him to do the thing he wanted to do. It was an act of generosity. It was in the service of another person. Mm. And that, that, that signing of Ozil and making a space for Ozil... I know he's spoken recently, hasn't he? And it's been reported that his word to sum up the Ursula situation is a waste, which is yes, which is true. 
Uh, be together, act with class, move forward. It's full of these little th- rules of three. Individual talent, collective intelligence, humility. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, things you can put up on the dressing room wall by Arsene Wenger. And not one of you's going to betray me. <laughs> yeah, one of you's going to let me down. Yeah. <laughs> Up yours, Brendan. Yeah, um, yeah that's We it. said something. Um, did he say something on... Um, yeah, here it is from Graham Norton. Sometimes people come together and there is magic that lifts them to a level where it becomes art, right? Yeah. All of that. Yeah. That's I mean, I know, exactly this pod- I know this podcast is like, you know, very much declared uh, Arsene Wenger files, but I mean, he's taken it to, a, he's kind of taken it to another level yeah. with, uh, with that. And um, Have you got another audio boner? Well, I am. <laughs> about, thank you. For, <laughs> you're not going to let that one go. Well, another, I mean, there was a few for um, which, uh, which, which, which come later in the interview. So, um, but I did enjoy, it wasn't an audio boner, but again, just talking about players, I just, even though he played for them and he's one of the most likable ones ever to play for them, at least because of his talent. But the Hoddle stuff is lovely, isn't it? And yeah. the chat that you guys had about, you know, there's exactly, which I can't do the accent, I'm not going to try again, uh, about the stabbed pass. And you could just see Hoddle in his mind, what he created with him. He talks in the book about how George Weir came to life with 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 Hoddle playing with him as well. Just all, all the way through the book and it's the bits in the interview with Sesk and, and with Hoddle, the way he talks about players is an absolute joy. Do you know what I mean? He had a special relationship with, with them. He had a special le- relationship with uh, Lillian Turam, who's another one. Um, yeah, well, George Weir, famously, when he was given the Ballon d'Or, he called Arsene up and, and presented it to him um it reminded me i don't know if you remember this things that come to mind years ago kevin keegan was given a player of the season award by wilkinson sword i think they were you know the the razor manufacturers and he was given a sword (laughs) (laughs) so they gave him this silver sword and uh and he gave it to bill shankley right he said he said i'm gonna this there's one man you know keegan uh, always on the verge of tears. I mean, never, yeah. always at the absolute limit of effort. He never, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't be faulted for physical effort his entire life. He gave everything to everything, and uh, he gave that, he gave that trophy to Bill Shankly. A similar relationship, this kind of paternal figure. Something so, else. Uh, sorry, something else that jumped out Al, in your chat, but doesn't quite marry up with. With the book, I mean, you blame, you know, you said openly, obviously, um, Marseille cheated, right? Yeah. And just interesting how he doesn't want to talk about it that much, even though he obviously he knows and we know, and he talks a bit more about the pain in the book. I think he says something about the people who he wanted to speak up didn't speak up at the time. So it's all, so I guess, yeah, so the, the anger's there in the book, but he's, the class of the man really in um for as much as you can you can find out what he thinks by as much as what he's left out or what he doesn't want to say in that he he kind of played that a straight back he wants that the book to be a positive a, 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 a vice book for coaches for dealing with people and yeah. 
reminiscing about success and the reasons for success and how to do things well and how to behave well. And he doesn't, uh, uh, so that's, I think, where all that comes from. But that's for next week uh, we, 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 when we talk about the uh, the Arsenal years. Anyway, that's the Arsenal Finger Chat. I hope you enjoyed that. That's part one. Uh, there's more. And um, his book, of course, is out and available, My Life in Red and White. Meanwhile, uh, our lives in red and white uh, continue uh, with uh, <laughs> this, league, this season's Premier League resuming after the international break. Uh, we had a horrible fixture. What a thing to come back to after oh. they've all been here, there and everywhere. Um, to come back, to have to go to the Etihad. And we managed to just narrowly lose to them, but lose to them we did. Yeah. Um, did you did you watch it's, the game, Lance? Oh, God, yes. It's, I think it's so much easier to take when they play really well. <laughs> Over the last few years when they've just tonked us and you have to go, yeah fair play you're brilliant and when they're not and they're just sort of i mean they had a couple of periods just sort of around the goal they probably had about 10 15 minutes where they look good but oh we should have but do you think that's not more that we just didn't allow them to play well i mean we we, we sort of stifled them pretty well we did no we did that's true it was disappointing because we got 20 minutes in we're nice and compact and organised and we're just starting to expand a little bit, starting to play and look for opportunities in their half. And then and then Miriam goes all the way down the end, near the end of the pitch with Aguero. And he, he followed him right the way into the Manchester City half and Aguero laid the ball off and Mir- Miriam gave him a proper shove in the back as if to say, I'm following you everywhere, my friend. Yeah. And all that said to Aguero was, oh, you've come all the way down here. If you're marking Aguero... You must think to yourself, where's he trying to take me? Where's he trying to move me to? He's trying to do something to me here. This guy is cleverer than you and he's been doing this for longer than you have. And you must keep in mind where your teammates are and where you are on the pitch because he is trying to move you. And he, and he took Miriam all the way down there, turned yeah. around and came back up the pitch. Miriam's now out of position. He's not close enough to Aguero when they're running back together. So Bios has dropped into defence to cover. So when, when Aguero picks the ball up in our mm-hmm. half, where Sabayos should be, he's not there. He's yeah. not there because Miriam's vacated. Miriam isn't close enough to Aguero. Aguero's got the ball. And when it happens against Man City, it happens quickly. When, yeah. they, when there's that space, when there's a moment where someone's vacated a position or got it wrong, they kill you. They just go for you. Foden came in on the right. Hector was running so fast and so he looked so frightened that he overran him and yeah. let him cut inside because disastrous fullback play. And Leno, of course, spilled the shot right onto the penalty spot. I mean, of course, <laughs> he, every single time he blocks a ball, he yeah. blocks it so it just lands in the six-yard box. And then he slipped. And then, and then, and then he then slipped just... in, and then he slipped into the space where he might have been. I mean, yeah. Watching it again this morning, there's that moment where just Tobias looks just hopelessly chasing and you hope... Uh, but Because he's starting from the wrong position because he's had to fill in for Gabriel. So he's, yeah. he's now trying to catch up with a guy who's... Aguero's thinking, he's got, I've moved him. He's out of position. They're struggling. Now the midfielder's out of position because I've moved him. Aguero's caused a problem that, just right, with his a, movement. That Mares pass... Oh. 
was really good as well. That it was a nice pass, but the way was... he let it run across his body because he knew where the space yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. He That's... knew because Foden and Maris are on the touchline the whole time. They're on the touchline. They're always with City, the pitch is fully stretched. If everyone's over on the right, you know there's an acre on the other side of the field. You just know it's going to be there. They've been doing That's this what... for years. That's what a North African baller gets you. Do you know what I mean? The ball comes across like that. Love Mara's <laughs> playing. Just, oh, as, as he I said, irritates me, but yes. He's just, he's, he's a lovely footballer. Um, but yeah, look, right. Leno saved us again like he always does, uh, like he always has been recently. But you can't help thinking, come on, mate. I mean, I mean D, we swapped a message then. Um, I said, I'd be much more appreciative if he... Uh, Cool. If, he caught, if he caught it once in a while. Well, can you know he I mean? not work on it? So when you parry it, you've got to bash it away. It happens a few times, though, doesn't it? Is it, it's enough for it to, is it enough for it to be called a flaw? Because it's happened a, yes. it happens a lot. It is what he does. And if you're an opposition striker now, say you're Ian Wright playing now, Take and you pop. know you're playing Leno, and they're, they're going to say to you, follow up on this guy. Follow up that mm. every time he makes, he makes a lot of saves. He's a very good shot stopper, but he does parry them, and there will be one for you if you're alive to it. And there's no one more alive. If Sterling doesn't put that in, Aguero puts it, and they're both on it. Yeah. So it was a yeah. disappointing one. There was enough, um, you know. There was enough yesterday with De Bruyne being out, with Aguero just coming back to thinking that we could have. We and we could have. We could have oh, competed a little have. bit more. So you come away with that. And yeah, obviously no one thinks, yeah, we didn't lose 3-0. But you do think that so much work was gone into thinking how we can sort of set up against them and neutralise them. That Especially in the second half where we didn't kind of show much. But we had some really, really good chances. And in a moment, please, for Bukayo Saka, who's oh, just looking more and more like a joy. Brilliant. Um, oh, each time he normally does have that little fade in the second half doesn't he and um, at the end of last season um, Arteta was taking him off quite a lot but the best stuff came from the best stuff comes from him the best stuff came down the left with him and Tierney I'd love to see a little uh, yeah. reenaction, reenactment of uh, the Cole Perez years down there um, just yeah. you know it's enjoyable going down that side and seeing what ball he's got to put in um, and Obama Yang needs to be Closer to Saka, maybe that's what we're talking about now. If you're talking about the way you just spoke about Ozil and Giroud, and the way that obviously Ozil formed his partnership with Alexis, and we've always been, you know, the pitch has always been divided up like that in Arsenal's best moments. Um, maybe Saka and Aubameyang need to be a lot closer to each other for Aubameyang's good stuff form to happen. Is shot at the moment. I don't know what's. Oh. I don't know what there was. I mean, in the first 25 minutes, he gave he had three possessions and gave the ball away each how time. How much of that is his fault, though, or how much of it is how he's being played? If he's and they carrying very... the ball down the left wing, and he and he loses it twice, that's his fault. If you cut an inside and trying to find someone with a pass and you give it away, that's your fault. You, if you're losing in possession, you're an experienced player. He didn't seem to have the confidence to really run at the fullback and take him on on the outside. He seemed to want to check back in. He's misplacing passes. He's not getting shots off. So his form isn't quite there. Mm. They tried to move him in the middle for a bit. Willian as a false nine is kind oh. of number 10. It was very, very difficult to get him on the ball, to get him in possession of the football. It was really difficult. They brought Lacazette on and carried on in the... 
in the same way. But very it, deep, Lacazette. He was. He was yeah. playing, they're dropping the number nine very, very deep. It's a deliberate tactic to try and stop Rodri dominating the thing. But I, we couldn't quite, it was all Saka, wasn't it? Every chance, every opportunity yeah. that came, really. And there were opportunities, and they were a bit lucky not to concede a pen. Now, that was a very high foot from Kyle That was Walker. ridiculous. That was a really a case of, that is a free kick anywhere else. On well, the I didn't yeah. see until match of the day today that um, uh, Mane got one identical on the edge of the box, didn't he? In the Everton game, which was which was given a high challenge, which was given. I right, mean, identical. Yeah. Well, and, and, to, and uh, Mane, was, Mane was sent off about two or three seasons ago for the, exactly the same, wasn't he? With the same against words, Man City. With the same words, accidental and didn't quite yeah, hit him. Not and... quite. Not that sort of player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I, so looking back on that, that does look like one that got you know one that got away from us, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I really think Chris Kavanagh is. Very annoying. He's, he seems very weak, like a Tory MP, sort of Matt Hancocky, wishy-washy, <laughs> but tries to be all authoritative sort of way. Kevin a week right now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> Is this the ref? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know the ref was. Isn't that weird? I used to know the refs. You Where's did. Where's he from? No, um, <laughs> but you do find as well, I mean, the last couple of games, right, there's been so much excitement around the Premier League and games and topsy-turvy, and it just hasn't kind of happened to us. And I, you do sort of think, okay, so we've lost to Man City and Liverpool. In normal times, just write it off. But they do both feel like opportunities. That Yeah, we could have got a point by. yesterday. I definitely yeah. think we could have had a point at Man City. And I think if we had got a goal last 20 minutes, we could have got a second. That's their yeah. first clean sheet is that the first clean sheet of the season? There's some stat yeah. like that where they have they've always conceded in the last twenty minutes. It was a long way from a from a from a cakewalk for them. Definitely, we're competing better. We create chances. Uh, it's it's frustrating still when it's fifteen minutes to go, ten minutes to go, and we're still trying to pass around their penalty area and break oh, the press. God, and yeah. You do at some point you're thinking, listen, we've got Enketia and Lacazette and Aubameyang on. Let's launch it and get up the pitch. Come yeah. on. All their back four had been booked. I, th- I think apart from Carl Walker, maybe. Um, but all of their... They were all on yellow cards. That was a clever selection by Guardiola. Carl Walker right? was very good yesterday, wasn't to he? Keep, to put yeah. Walker at centre-back, coming across with his right foot onto Aubameyang down that side, time and time again, that really did sort that Aubameyang situation out. So perhaps yeah. one of the reasons why he had a, a poor game was Guardiola designed it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I just my, one of my biggest frustrations was the the Willie I Will I Am experiment just wasn't working. I don't. Uh, do yeah. you, did you feel that? Oh uh, yeah. yeah, totally. But there's a lot not working, isn't there? Pepe's still not working, and uh, Bellerin's not quite combining with Pepe down that side. You talk about Tierney and Saka. There's nothing really going on really between. Bellerin and Pepe, that side isn't functioning. And mm. and getting Willian in possession as number 10, it seemed more of a defensive selection almost. Couldn't get him on the ball. We talked yeah. about uh, the Chelsea retirement home thing before. I just want us, you know, you just want to get one player from there who's good. There's nothing worse really than getting messages now from your Chelsea friends going... Still pleased that you yeah. quote unquote nicked. Do you know what I mean? You want him to be really, really good for us, and it turns out that uh, anyone's going to be good against Fulham this year. So we've got to give him a chance. Well, look, I think the last few games we've had 
to play Sheffield United or a nightmare to play against Liverpool away, Man City away. These are games where there's been no space and very little opportunity. And uh, hopefully that will change. Although uh, uh, coming up, we do have Leicester and then Manchester United. So, and then the big one, the, the uh, title challenge in Aston Villa are coming up, as well as a couple of <laughs> Europa League games. There's no, there's no time to breathe now, really, is there? It's a real shame to be missing uh, Jack Grealish's calves this season. I think um, <laughs> I think D had to sit through what me. D has had to sit me through sit through me being in wonder of him all of last season. But I ask you this, Al, and I don't know how much this bothers you as much as it uh, bothers me, and certainly D. Can you win anything in a in a in a, in a blue kit away from home? Um, when you're playing against a pale blue team, I don't know why we're wearing a blue kit. Why are we doing that I away from know. home? I think I presume it's the marketing department. No, of course, I, it's, mate. It's a disgrace, saying. absolute disgrace. I don't mind that kit in in some. I like the pink on that kit, and uh, don't mind D, a bit of pink I call it the, the gen, I call it the general's pink because you often come out with a <laughs> um, a casual a, a casual pink like that. Yeah. <laughs> Now, gentlemen, do you want to play Spot the Commentary? I would love to play this. Do you want to play Ooh. this? Right, it's best Ooh, yeah. to three. I think I'm going to do best of three. Uh, I'm going to play you a bit of commentary, and you have to come in and tell me uh, who scored the goal, what the game was, and what the season was. Is there a buzzer system, or do we just wave frantically? You can wave, fr- wave frantically. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, whoever, waves, whoever waves, I can see, I can see the gentleman uh, listener. You probably <laughs> surmised. Yeah. Uh, whoever waves fantastically first, I will come to you after okay. this. After this guy, not the time to be making mistakes. Davis, Allenson onside. Now here's a chance for Arsenal. Goff trying to close him down. He's got it. It's one one. You're waving frantically there. League, League Cup against Tottenham. League Cup against Tottenham. Yay. What year? What year uh, was it? No, uh, 87. Seven. 87 is oh, the right answer. Ian Allenson had just come Ian off Allenson. the bench. Paul Davis played a long ball over the top. Allenson kind of swivelled and turned and then somehow got a shot off the Beat Clements at the near post. Well done. One nil. We should get for for for, for Damien's sound uh, in post. He should put in a man on. He heard me. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, hey! <laughs> All right. Try this one. Try this one. Smith, Dixon, acrobatics, but it comes for Smith. Tire. Uh Palmer, Alan Copenhagen, Alan Copenhagen Smith, Palmer, 1994. 1994, oh. Cup Winners Cup final. It's one all. <laughs> I, 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 I love I this could, game. It's quite good. I couldn't quite hear it in my defense. Oh, excuses. Oh, I don't excuses. think I used that excuse for mine as well. The sound, the sound is rotten. Uh, I, I would give you that. All right. So this is a, this is the decider. decider. See if you can uh, get this one. And Ian Rush has to join into the uh, line of defenders that Limpar. What's he trying? Oh, that's one that you'll never forget. A privilege to see such a goal. Few players would have even thought of this. Tyo's in. 
right. <laughs> but Dee's going to get some of this because it's it's Limpar's chip from it's Limpar from the halfway line. Yes. It's a against it's against Liverpool. Liverpool. Yes. And it is nineteen ninety one. I would go ninety. Oh, you're both wrong. Ah. <laughs> 1992. Oh. 1992, a season oh. where we started badly and then had a run of fixtures where we played some brilliant football. Uh, Ian Wright is in the picture here celebrating. Steve Bold, David oh. Rowcastle, David Hillier. And we absolutely smashed Liverpool 4-0. Did all the hard work and Ronnie Rosenthal did. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we were too far behind. That year, and Leeds United won won the league, but it could have been, it could have been Arsenal. But they are. See, I'm giving you the, they're giving you the win there, two one, coming from behind. Well done. Uh, three of the most famous Arsenal goals um, from the George from the George Graham era. From the George, George Graham, Graham era. era. Well, yeah, I think it, the travel pillow maybe helped, but you know, <laughs> I, I'd like that travel pillow investigated. Inexplicably wearing <laughs> a travel pillow with the logo of the artist formerly known as Prince on it. It's a crushed velvet, it's a crushed velvet uh, uh, travel pillow uh, given to me by Sean Roberts as a birthday present. So thank you very much. Oh, well, that's very yes. nice. That's it's very quite nice. an amazing item. It is very nice. I, um, I wanted to uh, just quickly mention, um, I got a message this morning. Uh, from someone called Shelley Martin Light saying that uh, she was watching Match of the Day and was uh, enjoying, um, and whenever Walcott's name is mentioned, she can't see it, she can't hear it without mentally shouting, unlucky. Unlucky Theo. Theo. Of course. But he was lucky, Theo, because he, um, cause he played um, he played well against Everton yesterday. In and against one- Chelsea. He fired Which- in a cross-come shot. I mean, a classic Theo cross come shot. He looks really, really now indistinguishable from Lewis Hamilton. I just keep, I just, every time I see him, I think that's Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? Are you, got, do you, he's done are something you, with his hair that reminds me of Lewis Hamilton. Are you he's not got, seeing Naimond Bryce from season four of The Wire? No. Not seeing Naimond. Please don't try and ask me about The Wire. It's been a long time. Leave it with The Wire. But he, he did very well. He played well for uh, Southampton. He's very pleased to be back at Southampton. He fired a ball across. Vestergaard, the big centre-half, to sort of deflected it into the bottom corner and they pinched the three-all draw at the bridge. And it's an absolute joy to see Theo smiling and what? old Fat Frank looking utterly miserable. <laughs> yeah. In, by the way, in a wonderful kit. I don't like the socks, but it's very Peru from the 1970 World it's Cup. It's something it? a bit South American going on yeah. there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good spot, spot, spot by the logo, but the Boca Juniors one was always spot by the logo as well. So, uh, yeah, apart from the socks, uh, big points. Why can't uh, Chelsea defend? What's going I on? don't know. I, that's one slightly frust. Well, the fact that everyone else drew, apart from the Manx. Yeah, um, we could have done with a draw, couldn't we? Exactly. So. It's, it's that sort of. I don't know whether it's. It's not quite so bad, or it's a bit frustrating. It's, it's that we two defeats. If you lose to your rivals, you know you're going to finish below them. It's just, you know, that is the way of it. We needed to get something there, and uh, you'll be relieved to hear, listener, that we're not recording during this Tottenham game this week. <laughs> we have a policy of not doing that anymore. 
Um, I don't know how they get on against West Ham. You do. Um, by the time you listen to this, we might be ninth, you know. Uh, but there are only five games gone, so let's not get our neck And we've played Liverpool and Man City away. We've played Liverpool and City away, and very shortly we'd have played Manchester United away as well. So it's three of the big ones, but we were hoping to get something at these places when they're empty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, that turns out that isn't. Uh, you'll know this more than me. When was the last time we won at Old Trafford? Oh, I can't remember, mate. Was it the, FA, the FA, we won in the or... FA Cup, didn't we? We won in the FA Cup with Danny Welbeck scoring in 2015, was it? And but in the league, I think the last time, as Dee says, was Adi Bayor, and I think that was 06, 07. He, he played very well, Adi Bayor, got the winning goal, and then we went up there a couple of years later, and he just disappeared without trace so, in the semi final. So long without fail, whatever happens with Man United, they always get good enough in the league just before we go there. You know, Harry Maguire is having the meltdown that he's having. But it will all be sorted by the time we go up there. Marcus Rashford um, looking good. Yeah, he's looking very, better by the time we get there. It's very dangerous. They've got, some very, they've got some good players. This, we'll see how we get on. Who, who knows? Uh, on this day, which is the 18th of October, Thierry Henry broke the Arsenal goal-scoring record with two goals uh, in, in Prague against Sparta Prague. Um, you were there. I was there. I was in Prague for that game. Uh, it, it was very, very cold. Um Henri came off the bench after 15 minutes and scored two of the best goals you will ever see in your life. So uh, if you haven't seen those goals, just you just Google that. These these are two. There's a pass from Perez. There's the control and turn and finish with the outside of the foot from Henri that you it has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> and the fact that these were just routine occurrences in those days. And he does run off. He does run off in a wonderful. You know, no f's given Thierry way. So that's <laughs> so that's kind of what always makes the goals. I never quite apart from apart from the the Leeds one. Um, I always thought it took a little bit, and the Spurs one. It always took a little bit away when he celebrated a bit for me because just run off to the corner flag like you're looking for the two p you dropped. <laughs> well, I remember about Prague. Apart from it being cold, was I? I was sat down in the main square. I can't remember the name of it. Very famous place, and ha- had a beer in a cafe there. And it was about four quid, and I thought it was a bit steep, a bit Leicester Square. And then I went, wandered around a couple of side streets and had a beer and something to eat in another cafe, and it was 20 pence. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are lucky enough to get out of this country, out of this pandemic, and do go to Prague, which I recommend, uh, d- 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 avoid the main square. <laughs> okay. Go around the corner. There'll be a little dingy cafe, wooden tables, the people with little round glasses, yeah. look like the plot in the revolution. Thrifty tips with Alan go Davis. In. Go in yeah. there. Go there in there. <laughs> and take a jumper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a bit like getting your minstrels uh, in the ground. Yeah, well, well, it's, uh, you know, it's like corner. when you go to the you go to the Odeon or the View. You know, do <laughs> do get your snacks from the uh, newsagent. <laughs> <laughs> Alan's thrifty tips. I know, it's I, yeah, this it's I, terrible actually because the cinemas are all going bust. Uh, yeah, that's not funny. There, anymore, there, there was something about that is <laughs> cinema popcorn is the most markup of anything ever. Oh, well, that's possibly it, true. Yeah, in terms of yeah. percentage, or it's some a billion percent or something like that. How much it costs and how much they sell it. More so than a hot dog at the Emirates made of cardboard and... Uh, hey, uh, did hey, you... Uh, you should have asked... The pizza slices. The pizza slices are that's outstanding. Why went, that's why I went for the hot dogs. That's why I went for the hot dogs. I saw you come... But you've, you've been a long fan of the pizza The pizza slices at the Emirates. That's what I miss the most. <laughs> Fried pizza. 
Yeah. When are we going to go to a game? Oh. I don't understand any of the rules anymore. I just don't understand anything. How can you fill the Palladium for Arsene Wenger and, and yet you can't, right. we can't all go up there? For well, I posted a picture that D put. I posted a picture that D put in our group about the last game at Highbury, um, and there's uh, all of us in there, um, and. Not only is it a lovely picture and a lovely memory, but I just looked at it and just thought, oh, my God, you had the football with your mates. When mm, we, yeah, when back we in the day. This well, this again? week, well, I'm pretty sure that I'd have gone to Vienna. You were playing Rapid Vienna. Yeah. And I'd have been bang up for that. I've never been to Vienna, and I, we, and I would love to have go, gone to that. But L- Lots of Arsenal fans are trying to work out how to get to Dundalk. That would have been a good Dundalk one. Dundalk would be great. It's nothing, every time I love going to Ireland. Every time I go to Ireland, I think well, I should come here more often. Dundalk would have been amazing. Vienna would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's sickening. But we play Rapid Vienna on Thursday, and, uh, and then we play on Sunday evening Leicester at home. Would love to go to that. Then we play Dundalk at home. Then we play Manchester United away. So it's quite busy. I suppose it'll be nearly two different teams, will it, for Rapid Vienna well, and, and Leicester? I'm quite looking forward to the fact we can try Thomas Party, get him in, yeah, uh, and get him in, ingratiated into the team. Ingrati- not, ingratiated. Is yeah. that was that the <laughs> right word? <laughs> integrated. Integrated. Integrated is the one you're looking for, Dan. <laughs> you keep, you keep searching. You keep we searching. We can edit that fun. one out, can't we? <laughs> Absolutely no, not. No, not. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't no. It's just no. get party ingratiated. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned um, you you mentioned uh, Thomas Party uh, D. Um, we must have some party like Thomas Party songs. But before 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 we go with any of them, that um, you're both aware of uh, Deneo, right? No. Well, I am now ingratiated with Thomas. Wow. So that is um little something you've been working on. Don't put it on again. No. So this is Deneo, which um Is it? Yeah, Deneo, as you know, who did the tune, the, the big tune, Party big, Hard. Big, which, uh, the big Party Hard tune, yeah, yeah. Um, they haven't played that at half-time. I'd like to see Keith get down to that. But there is a new version Ooh. of it. He said if we did sign Thomas Party that he would do a version. Well, um, I doubt Party I, hard. my breath is baited. Yeah, but as Dee mentioned, though, he got a yellow card yesterday. So can I just add the lyric, the party hard? He's got a yellow card. Oh, nice. So if anyone nice wants to uh, add to that, yeah. you know, send it in. Maybe send it, maybe send it to me, to my DM, rather than to the uh, yellow box, uh, yellow yeah, boots. Yeah. Oh, well, if you want to send, you can email us at uh, TuesdayClubPodcast at gmail.com or you can go on the old Twitter feed at NotYouBentley. We're up to 8,500 followers. Oh. Extraordinary numbers we're now on the social media. I've had an email from John Friend. Uh, nobody knows where our Urzel has gone. Terrera's <laughs> gone to Madrid. We needed to boost our midfield, and Mikel ensured that we did. <laughs> He's a party, and we'll win if he wants to. Win if he wants to. Win if he wants to. You would win right, too if he played for you. Uh, room for improvement, granted, but not too bad, I don't think, says John Friend. I, 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 I concur. 
Yes. He's a party and he yeah, win if he wants to, but he's just made his debut and lost 1-0. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but is that the quickest booking ever? It was, it was so quick, I didn't even notice he'd been booked. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't spot that had happened. It wasn't. I didn't but think it was it particularly worthy of a booking myself. But there you no. go. Oh, and T, you'll like this. Uh, I've got a, a Teddy Sheringham anecdote. Okay. Oh, Teddy Sheringham is, uh, the, the evidence is mounting that he might be a bit of a shit. Uh, <laughs> James Crawley. Hi, chaps. Uh, glad the podcast has come back. It's helping me hugely with all the coronavirus-related angst. Well, I hope it help a little bit, but it is we've all got angst, so it's terrible. Now. Anyway, uh, here's a story from my dad, 2001. He used to work in Greece, and he was in Athens when England played Greece in a World Cup qualifier. One night, he was in his hotel, in the lift, and three men got in talking loudly in English. One was telling a story that went along the lines of, and I said to him, you carry on and I'll put a bottle in your face. He looked up expecting it to be some football fans, only to realise that the storyteller was Teddy Sheringham. <laughs> he wished him and the other two in the lift, Paul Scholes and Rio Ferdinand, good luck for the match tomorrow. Wow. Rio Ferdinand was perfectly polite and had a brief chat but Skulls and Sheringham looked at him like he'd taken a shit on their feet. He later, he later, that same trip, had a much finer experience meeting Sol Campbell and still refers to how he was the most incredible physical specimen of a human being <laughs> he has ever seen. Well, we all think that. Yeah, I mean, really. Do. Yeah, indeed. How did any he more, smell? Any did more he... evidence? I imagine he smelled oh, yeah. really good, yeah. <laughs> I reckon... Anyone, please, please keep coming with evidence about the kind of absolute hideousness of Teddy Sheringham. And, and nothing so far, T. Uh, nothing, disappointingly, no one has come up with any stories about what an absolute bastard Bob Wilson is. There's just nothing. Really? We, we, we are still awaiting some some anecdote, some tale from him being a really nasty He must shit. have cut... Somebody must be listening to this has been cut up by Bob Wilson Damien's outside London Colney. signed picture of Willow. I've, I've got one of them somewhere. We've all got a signed <laughs> picture of Willow. The charm the... offensive has been going on for decades, but he must have done something wrong. D, did, the... he spell, did he spell Damien wrong? Did he put it with an E? And no, it's to... to the general. To oh, the general! No. <laughs> oh, that's even better! That's even better! Oh. To the general. Somebody call out Bob Wilson, please. (laughs) But if you don't have any uh, Bob Wilson horror stories, we will gladly accept any to do with Teddy Sheringham or Paul Miller or Graham Roberts or any of the other shitbags that we hate. I still think (laughs) one of my greatest days of football was when... We used to sing about Teddy Sheringham. You went to Man United and you won F4. Won F4 he, yeah. They came back. They just won well. the treble. Yeah. And you, went, <laughs> when the crowd went, you went to Man United and you're still a C word. Just the funniest moment of football. Yeah. yeah. But no, my favourite uh, one of, um, which I think, I always think it was started by you, Al. Maybe it was on the pod or not, but it was the when he came out with Portsmouth, as you well remember. He's a reserve. Reserve! You were just in reserve. reserve. (laughs) But that was the proper old school football (laughs) hooligans in the Arsenal away end. When he was warming up uh, along the touchline, he was a substitute for Portsmouth. Reserve! You're just in reserve. You're just. And then, but to his credit, Sheringham then mimed lifting three trophies, one after the other. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's always. 
he's always enjoyed hating us as much as oh we yeah, yeah him, and he it? loved it. He, he absolutely they fluked to treble, didn't they? They really did. Uh, Jason Clifford sent me a a tweet. His name is Saka. He's an attacker. Plays next to Aubameyang and he links with Willian. His name is Saka. Makes goals for Laka. He really is the best. So Ooh. much better than the rest. <laughs> That's decent. That's what it's off. Not bad for a tweet. Not bad there's, for a tweet. There's Not something bad. there. There's something there. <laughs> there's something and it. you'll find Al as well that these take on your your the songs um, just to encourage uh, the people listening. Uh, um, now that the general's got his uh, swagger back and um, records on his label are going uh, top twenty. Back in um, the hit parade. Back on the hit. Tell us the name of the artist and the tune. Well, Rogine, Rogine Murphy, but Dee can tell oh, you better. Rogine Murphy. Yeah, so she's on Miloco days. Yes. She's on, yeah. She's on so, Skint. She's on Skint now. She's on Skint. So she was my first She's big nearly signing. as old as you, Dee. Thanks. <laughs> Still looking good, though, right? <laughs> I, Still yes, looking yes, good. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm going to take the fifth and say yes. <laughs> um, she's but, the first big signing of General Part De. Well yeah. done, General. Well, we well, saw we watched her on the Graham Norton the other week. Looking, yes. looking good, sounding good. That was very good, wasn't it? Very yes. nice. Oh, well, so, um, any songwriters? Well You're in the charts. Any songwriters? Back in the charts. A, there's a bit more to it if you uh, send in a good, uh, send in a good version. Yes. Yeah. The General's ears are back on. <laughs> the Golden Ears, they called him. Golden, golden ears, Harris. Golden ears. No, they never, they never no, called no, him that. No, 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 whatever. They never Lucky, called him that. Lucky Harris. Damien, Damien, skin up, will you, mate? <laughs> Well, gents, I think that's uh, about it, really, isn't it? I'm delighted to say we can wrap this recording up before Tottenham even kick off. Absolute Great. pleasure. And, uh, yeah, well done again for um, the Arsenal Audio Chocolate. Yes. Yeah, part two of Arsene Wenger uh, next week, so tune in. Yes, will do. See ya. Cheers, mate. Cheers.